the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. With us today in studio, we are privileged to have the new lead pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View and speaker on the broadcast, Inspired to Live, heard weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX, Pastor Brian Lourdes. I've read about you that you like to start the day as often as you can uh, in a time of Bible study with your children. You have three boys? Three boys. Three boys. 15, 14, and 12. It's a good age, isn't it? It's a fun <laughs> age, isn't it? Um, was this kind of a foregone conclusion? Was this something that your dad, Crawford, was doing with you when you were a kid of that age? Absolutely. You know, we, we tend to take um, cut and paste the, the good experiences we had from our homes, and we want to carry those things over. And, you know, I'm looking at my own lineage and um and just going man i've really been blessed i mean we can as an african-american man i'm pretty rare from the standpoint i can actually trace my lineage back to pre-emancipation days to my great great grandfather peter who was a slave working the plantations of Asheville, north carolina and he was a godly man loved the lord the family that owned him this is the big conundrum here his owners led him to faith in jesus and uh, he got married. Uh, once the emancipation happened, the family that owned us uh, gave him 300 acres, free and clear land in Catawba County, North Carolina. Much of that we still own. In fact, I, I, I go back there from time to time. And that just began a legacy where in my direct line, there's no such thing as a man who didn't love Jesus or a man who divorced his wife in my direct line. And so what I feel and then I got this unique name, Loritz, and I just feel this incredible responsibility to try to steward that well. And I was blessed to grow up in a house where both my parents loved the Lord. My parents just celebrated 45 years of marriage. My normal was sitting around the dinner table with my folks, watching my dad open the scriptures. He was my first Old Testament uh, theology professor, New Testament theology professor, all of those things. And so I'm just saying I, I want to just really mark my kids in that same way. So it's a lot about not only leaving a legacy, a spiritual legacy, but also setting example. I, I think how many, particularly these days, and you've written about this topic, the, the, the utter almost horrific degree of biblical illiteracy in the Western world today, and perhaps specifically in the United States. And I, and I, I think that perhaps a lot of that is due to the fact that, you know, if we could have a show of hands of people listening right now, don't do it if you're driving. I don't want you to crash the car. But do you recall coming home or in an evening finding dad in his study or by the bedside or chair side reading the Bible? And I think there's a whole generation out there for whom they never had that experience. They don't recall a time of praying together as a family around the table before a meal. 
Uh, they don't remember mom and dad praying together, witnessing those sorts of things. And I think a lot of that is important because it sets the tone. It sets the tenor. It's the example. It's the mentorship, really. Absolutely. That then our children later on can pattern and say, I do it because I remember dad doing it. Absolutely. I think I forget which pope said it, but he, his point was the home is the domestic church. Mm. And so I, I just take it seriously and go – I mean, I can't outsource my kids' spiritual formation to their youth pastor. Uh, I can't. I can't just hope by osmosis that they catch it. I need to create an environment. But Craig, I mean, the other hand too, what you understand as a parent, and I just want to give some parents hope out there. You know, here I am, a pastor with all these theology degrees, but I, I can't control my kids. I can't. I can't change their hearts. I can't come up with a recipe to make them be godly people. I think all I can do is try to create an environment, do a whole lot of praying, and hope that God intervenes and does something uh, with their hearts. Does that also underscore the notion that as much as it's important to provide that role model, to set that tone, that at the end of the day, God has no stepkids? Absolutely. We all have to have that direct personal one-on-one relationship with the Lord. And I think a lot of parents do want to outsource a lot of that. Absolutely. To pastors, yeah. children's church, what have you. Say, well, okay, I, listen, I put a roof over their head. I pay all the bills. Yep. I put food on the table. Now let's the other exp- experts take care of it and, and kind of step out of the process. But you can't do that. Can absolutely. You? And you got to be humble about it. You absolutely. So I think we parents tend to take too much credit when our kids turn out right, and I'm putting that in quotes, hmm. and too much blame when they don't. And, man, I can't change myself. I can't get to my own heart. I'm, I'm dependent on the grace of God to do his work in my life. And, again, all I can do is set the environment for my kids and pray that God does something amazing. Was there a time in your life, even though you grew up in such a phenomenal spiritual household, that you pushed back and oh, had your moment of rebellion? Oh, absolutely, Craig. You know what? One of the best things that my dad did, and I can't believe he did this. All right, so my dad's a pastor. My senior year in high school, my dad looks at me and goes, I'm going to treat you as if you're a freshman in college. So he goes, no curfew, um, you know, and just kind of really just took off the restraints. He goes, the only thing is you have to come to church for at least five minutes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so dad just kind of let go and – New to those experiences, I just kind of went out there and pushed the limits on some things, and Dad just kind of bit his knuckle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but at some point, I, I, I did I did come back, and uh, it's it's a good thing. But I'm I'm glad I didn't have a dad. If I had an overbearing, controlling father, who who tried to micromanage me, my personality would never flourish again in that environment. George Barna has put forward some studies that are indicative of the notion that there are growing numbers of millennials that once having tasted of that freedom, generally they're off to college, things yeah. of that sort, they wander away and they don't come back. Huh. Or it's years before they come. Sometimes when they reach the point where they're married and they have kids, and they say, well, it would be nice to give the kids some kind of a foundation. So almost out of a sense of, of obligation than they do it in a free and willing heart. What is it that pulled you back? The Holy Spirit. Huh. Absolutely the Holy Spirit. It, it really, really was. And I had a tribe of mentors. Uh, again, I came up under Bishop Kenneth Ulmer. 
Uh, he's my godfather, pastors a church. He was incredibly significant in my in my own life. In fact, my latest book, I, I dedicated it to him. Um, I actually had great godly friends uh, who would challenge me on some things, which was great. And then to know that I had praying parents. My, my dad literally says to me, there has never been a day in your life when I've never prayed for you. Wow. So that kind of a prayer covering is absolutely significant. And my dad actually says he did most of his parenting on his knees. Hmm. Do you think that's good advice? Is that advice <laughs> yeah, you, you yes. follow with your three boys? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, the older they get, the more you realize how little control you have. So then you go, well, well what am I going to do? Am I going to sit in the back seat of every date they go on? You know, at some point, you got to trust and give them space to do stupid stuff. Is it also a, a bit of a test of one's own faith in the sense that as you acknowledge that, no, you can't be hovering over them every nanosecond, that you have to not only cut them loose, but also have enough trust in the Lord that you've instilled, you know, the, the adage from Scripture, you train up a child in the way he should go, uh, that sense that you've instilled enough truth in their life that there's been enough careful mentoring going on and parenting on the knees yeah. that even though they may wander off and make some stupid mistakes, as we all tend to do, that eventually they will come back? That's the hope. But I, I think we parents get in trouble. And no Christian parent would say it in these terms. But so many of us parent from the perspective that my identity and sense of self-worth and esteem is tied to the performance of my kids. Mm, yeah. And that is just a dark road, Craig. And you start Danger going. Says, yep. I, you know, I, I, I failed on the gridiron as a football player yep. myself in school, <laughs> but I'm going to make sure my son is the best quarterback Absolutely. and gets a scholarship to Stanford. Absolutely. And so that's just, man, that's just a daily battle. I, I am not my kids' decisions. So we teach them right, we train them right, we let them feel consequences. We let them feel the consequences of their own decisions and choices, um, but there's a sense of gospel distance between who I am as a parent in Christ and my kids' behavior. And li- listen, the one talking to you about this is the pastor, <laughs> where, the, where the church is kind of looking at your kids, oh, expecting them to be the Sunday school yeah, teacher. You, you, know, you know as a PK <laughs> yourself, the magnifying glass is on the Lawrence family. Boy, absolutely. if it doesn't work out right, you know, Pastor Brian's doing something wrong. Got to be. <laughs> absolutely. I, I remember, you know, my youngest, he, uh, he went through his Michael Jackson phase years ago, or he was just enamored with Michael Jackson. And uh, I remember his Sunday school teacher came to me after service one Sunday and uh, said that my youngest decided to get on top of one of the tables and do the Billie Jean dance, (laughs) gestures and all. (laughs) And you go, well, I hope you reprimanded him. But, uh, you know, that's what kids do. Don't put a pastor's kid label on there. That's what kids do. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know? We're visiting today with Pastor Brian Lourdes. He is the new lead pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. Speaker on Inspired to Live. Heard weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. We take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our discussion right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Our visit today with Pastor Brian Lourdes. He's the new lead pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. And, of course, speaker on Inspired to Live, the broadcast weekday mornings at 5 a.m. 
right here on KFAX. By the way, more information about the church ministry at ALCF.net. Think Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, ALCF.net. We'll talk more about the church ministry in a moment. I, I want to come back to a topic that we, we kind of grazed at the very beginning of our conversation today, and that is this issue of some of the turmoil that we're seeing in America today, racially speaking. And it's interesting because I think this is perhaps a tension that's just sort of quietly bubbled below the surface, and then every once in a while an event happens. Right. Most recently, we know the names, we know the individuals, the right. places, Ferguson, things of that sort that have, that have caused that to bubble up and over. You have been quoted as saying that when it comes to the church, not only in terms of Martin Luther King's observation about the greatest time of segregation in America, Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., but that insofar as we, the church, the body of Christ, should not only model a a well-integrated church on a Sunday morning, but you take it a step further. You say, don't just be satisfied with a sense of a well-integrated sanctuary. Absolutely. You want the dinner table. Yes to be integrated as well, yes. to, to be a reflection of heaven. Yes. What do you mean by that? So I, I think what all these ra- the pl- proliferation of these racial incidents, that what they reveal, and again, I'm not casting judgment on anybody, but just looking in the aftermath and, and the, the incredible uh, polarization of responses, I think it, what it reveals is we really don't know each other. Mm. We really don't know each other. So uh, latest LifeWay research says that 90% of all churches today are homogenous, which means only 10% are diverse. Now, that's actually an improvement because if, if you took those, um, this same research 10 years before, only 2.5% of all churches were diverse. Wow. So we're seeing progress. an uptick. Yeah. There's progress, but 90% is just not acceptable. Ninety percent homogeneity is just not not a good thing, but even within multi ethnic churches, latest studies reveal you can have a multi ethnic church, but still be segregated. It's almost like um, the NBA All Star Game, right? right. That, that game's going to come up in February. It's an annual deal where people from different teams will come. They'll play on a team together playing the event, but once the event is over, they're going to go back to their individual teams. That's Sunday morning. That's Sunday was, morning in right. <laughs> multi-ethnic churches, yeah. right? So I think at the end of the day, we, we've got to create environments where people actually trust each other enough to go there and to have conversations. Let me, let me say this as well. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, Ph.D. from uh, University of North Carolina, he, he popularized this. He didn't come up with it, but he popularized this whole um, uh, communication pyramid. And there's five levels of communication. And the most superficial level is cliche. Good morning, good morning, how are you? Levels two and level three are where most guys hang out. I call that sports center talk. Level two is sharing facts. Who won the game? How many points did LeBron have? Level three is sharing opinion. It's kind of sharing what you think. Levels four and level five are your deepest levels of relationships. Level four is emotive. It's sharing how I feel. And most wives will say most men never absolutely, get to that. Absolutely. <laughs> My husband's stuck on three. Absolutely. <laughs> and then level five is transparency. It's sharing who, who, who I am. Now, if you take that communication pyramid, Craig, and you just put it over kind of how uh, the disparity in responses between minority communities and white communities to a Ferguson to a Philando Castile, to an Alton Sterling, to an Eric Garner. What typically happens is minority communities go level four. And this is how we're feeling, man. Mm -hmm. This sense of lament. 
our white brothers and sisters go, wait a minute, we don't know the facts. It's level two. Now, is there a place for facts? Absolutely. But if you're listening to this and you're single, let me give you a piece of advice. As a guy, a single guy, when your wife comes to you at some point and comes level four, for you to stay in lawyer land at level two is not a recipe for oneness. So when Corey comes to me, my wife, and says, this is how I'm feeling, what I'm learning 17 years into the game, Craig, learning is I need to connect with her in order to do that. My first resort isn't to bombard her with facts, but it's to sit with her and lament with her and to soak in those feelings with her. And then then we'll double back and at some point get to facts. We just don't know how to lament well with each other. It's the lost art of lament. We've got the order wrong. Absolutely. So I would say, I would say to my white brothers and sisters listening, the next time something like this happens, I think the appropriate response is, Hey, let's can we have a cup of coffee before you go? Well, what about black on black crime? Yeah, I think the first response, especially if you're a believer, because the Bible instructs us, grieve with those who grieve. Sit down and ask questions. Posture yourself as a learner. Um, Pass some Kleenex to somebody. What about the role of the church in all of this to the broader degree? And and I, I pose that question because I think of your book, Letters from Birmingham Jail regarding the, the time that Martin Luther King spent there. I think that with with much success, we can argue that the genesis of the civil rights movement in America found a, l- a little bit of uh, early roots in the late 40s, post-World War II, certainly in through the 1950s. Sure, they sure. culminated in the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act of 1964-65, so forth. But that was driven by the church. It was men and women praying and on their knees who didn't go to engage in violent protest, but prayerful protest that I think moved that direction of civil rights and and race relations in our country, the furthest that we had seen perhaps since 1865. That said, you look today, there's a lot of talk about what the government needs to do, what Black Lives Matter is doing, and yet you have to wonder where is the church in all of this? And I, and I, I ask that question because we of all should understand what reconciliation is all about. We have the greatest example set before us, the biggest chasm between a holy and righteous God and this fallen creation whose sin is as a stench into God's nostrils, as we're told in Scripture. And yet, God found a bridge that he provided to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that we might find reconciliation. And I find it utterly ironic that we as the church who have been been given so much in terms of reconciliation on the vertical plane between God and man tend to be MIA right now, AWOL, essentially, on the topic of reconciliation on the horizontal plane. Right. Well, I I think a couple of things. One, I I, I think the easy thing to do is to outsource those things to the government. Yeah. I mean, we that, that's more, the easy one thing. One more program. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's just have government take care of that. And we can actually expand that from just race. You know, it's intertwined with it, but also the issues of poverty mm-hmm. and to social injustice. It goes back to being the difference of whether we're on the cruise ship or the battleship. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I think the call of every church, well, the church fundamentally exists to bring the kingdom of God 
here, here to earth. And when you talk about the kingdom of God, it's both it's both people's souls, so being, seeing people come to Christ, getting nurtured and discipled of their faith, but it's also feeding people, clothing people, addressing physical felt needs, standing in the gap. Here's what God requires of us to do justice, and we've got to wrestle with that. In fact, one of my biggest questions is, what in the world does justice look like in Palo Alto? Mm. I mean, we're just, we're really, really wrestling with those issues. But I think the other side, Craig, you didn't tell the whole story. You told half of it. And that is with the civil rights movement, it's led by Christians. But some of the biggest antagonists to the movement were likewise Christians. And when we talk about antagonists, I'm not just talking about the active, aggressive hate groups like the KKK. I'm also talking about the passive antagonists. And these were white evangelicals who were just okay with sitting in church on Sunday morning hearing another good sermon while kids were being bombarded and blasted with thunderous streams of water mm-hmm. on the streets of Birmingham. And actually, that's why King wrote his letter. King writes his letter from a Birmingham jail to these passive uh, 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 mo- moderates, is what he calls them, who aren't doing anything, who had written a newspaper article embarrassed that King was in town saying, just take your time. Just if, wait. If if Jesus had written the story, that would be the characterization of the lukewarm church. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think, I think it's on me. I think it's on you as Christians to go. What am I doing to stand for injustice? I think it's disingenuous for anybody to critique Black Lives Matter, but they're not doing anything to stand up for justice, to fight for racial equality, to get to know someone who doesn't look like, act like, think like, or vote like them, and. That's what drew me to Abundant Life. Uh, it's interesting, at Abundant Life, and here's where it gets messy. At, because racial diversity now breeds economic diversity, political diversity. Uh, the head of Trump's campaign for Santa Clara County is a member of my church. Wow. <laughs> and she comes to me one day and says, I would like for you and the elders to lay hands on me and bless me in the work that I'm doing. Wow. And, you know, that just had some interesting conversations Mm -hmm. because they're in a multi-ethnic church. You have people who see it differently. If I'm in a homogenous church, um, you know, I could just kind of pick my buzz phrases and, um, you know, I could, you know, if it's a Fox News church. You know, I could say certain things and get away with it, and people are going to clap on that. If it's the MSNBC MSNBC church, or you you know what I'm saying? But in a multi ethnic church, you've got Fox News people sitting next to MSNBC people sitting next to CNN people, and I think that's a that's what Rick McKinley calls the beautiful mess. And the irony is, so much of that is going to also be representative, I think, of heaven. It's yes. not going to be the same. It's not yes. going to be only Baptists getting in yes. or just Presbyterians. <laughs> it's not going to be just white folks or just yes. Asian folks. It's going to be the entire mixture here. And uh, this is a, you know, God must look down and say, this is a very interesting experiment I'm doing Absolutely. Here. <laughs> Let's Absolutely. pause on that point. We're going to come back with more of our conversation. Visiting today with Brian Lourdes, Pastor Lourdes, lead pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. His broadcast, by the way, Inspired to Live, weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. A very brief time out. Back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
We're back with Pastor Brian Lourdes, lead pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. His radio program, by the way, you can catch weekday mornings at 5 a.m., Monday through Friday, Inspired to Live, right here on KFAX. Let's talk about setting examples for a moment. Um, We look at the challenges, and you know, you've worked both ends. You've been in the Bible belt. You've been in the Bible suspenders. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Uh, You've you've had a chance to be exposed and work in areas where there is an abundance of so-called megachurches. And then you come to the Bay Area where we don't know what a megachurch is. And if you have a congregation of 250 people and they're healthy and half of them show up every week and a third of them tithe regularly... You're doing well as a yeah. pastor in the Bay Area. I have to wonder, when the world looks at us and they see some of this infighting that goes on, they see that sense of you use the Pro Bowl team example yeah. where we come together and just kind of tolerate each other for a Sunday, then we go back and do our own thing Monday through Saturday, and the world looks at us and says, now, wait a minute, you people talk a good story. You tell me I need to get it right with a God that I can't see, smell, touch, or feel. Yeah. And yet I look at you, you can't even get along with each other. Yeah. You can't find forgiveness between each other, and yet you want me to ask God to forgive me? Is part of what we say in the general spiritual malaise, not just in America today, but I think in the Western world, is part of that demonstrative of an outbirth of the some of these issues that we've been talking about in terms of racial reconciliation and yeah the church has not done a good job practicing what it preaches mm. you know um i think it's a huge slight on the church you know here we are supposed to be a community of love uh here we are supposed to be loving people across ethnic lines uh, racial line, uh, um, socioeconomic lines, so on and so forth, and we just haven't done a good job at that. So, I think I think as I share my faith and I encounter the very same comments that you raise, pl- playing devil's advocate, I think a, a responsible witness says, "I got to own that." Mm-hmm. Th- but I also think we've got to have the integrity to not let them, the secular person, off the hook, because the truth of the matter is. The church does not have a monopoly on on hypocrisy. Mm. So I think, well uh, you know, the frat house, if you're a part of a sorority, whatever organization you're in, as long as there's people, <laughs> there, there are going to be people who fall short of the very ideals they're supposed to be living up towards. It's part of the issue, too, and I think of an area as diverse as the San Francisco Bay region or New York, where we find perhaps at times the pendulum on both extremes, where sometimes we're leading with diversity first – to the foregoing of the preaching of the gospel or on the other end of the continuum where it's all about the gospel but social justice, diversity takes such a deep backseat that it's barely inside the same car. Yeah, Craig, what you just described is the great fundamentalist modernist schism of the early 20th century. Oh, yes. So, I mean, that was the huge divorce in the church. And so what happens is you have a group of people, to use your language, who say, no, 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 the gospel is just vertical. It's just me and God and no truth. Have your personal time with the Lord and know your Bible, know your Bible, know your Bible. Well, these were the fundamentalists, and their grandchildren are what we now call evangelicals. On this, on the other hand, you have a group of people who go, no, it's your neighbor, and you got to love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. And But their problem was without any kind of vertical truth, 
to ground themselves in, unfortunately, they slid over into the abyss of error. And so these would be who we, and I hate these terms, but these would be who we call liberals. Of course, what Jesus presents us with is not an either-or option. It's both and. Yes, that's right. It's both the vertical dimension. I'm grounded in the Word of God. I'm grounded in truth. But there are horizontal implications. So I tell people all the time, look, you're you're not going to find a guy more passionate about diversity within the Church of Jesus Christ than me. However, I am not fundamentally a sociologist. Um, I am a preacher of the gospel, and what we're talking about are issues of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And orthodoxy, which is the idea of right doctrine, now right doctrine says I've got to ground people in the gospel, I've got to ground people in the truth of God's word, but if I give you the whole counsel of God, I've got to also preach passages of scripture that talks about who is my neighbor, that talks about the need to love others, that talks about the need to give money, to care for the poor. These are horizontal dimensions. If we had to distill it all down for the sake of conversation, does it then essentially reduce down into a heart condition that impacts both viewpoints, both ends of that continuum? I'll say this way. If you want to know a person's heart, honestly, at the end of the day, watch what they do. So the Bible makes no kind of dichotomy between consistent actions and the disposition of my heart. Mm. I'm going to ultimately, I might be able to sequester for a season kind of what's really in my heart, but you hang around with me enough, it's going to come out. That's the beauty of marriage. <laughs> we, we, we see that, uh, you know, we see that during the holidays. Uh, Uncle Charlie can hold his tongue yes. through uh, the first couple of courses of dinner, and then uh, he gets more comfortable. Maybe he has a glass of wine, and suddenly the true side of him comes out. But doesn't it bother you, Craig, what you, you, you know, there's some celebrity or some athlete. He'll say something stupid, and then they'll have the press conference because the PR manager says you've got to clean it up, and then they'll say something to the effect, I'm sorry. That's not really who I am. Yeah, or I'm sorry that I offended, so that you were offended by what I said. But the Bible says, no, honestly, that's exactly who you are. Mm -hmm. And you've got to own it and receive forgiveness for it. But I've got to own, here's an ugly truth. I can be prejudiced. I have that in me, Absolutely. I can I can put labels on people. I can categorize. I mean, you catch me on a day when the flesh is alive and I read a headline of some white person doing something insensitive. I'm not beyond the flesh in me saying, oh, that's just white people being white people. Mm-hmm. I got to own that. I got to take that to the cross and nail it there and ask God to forgive me of it and to keep moving. That was Peter. Is that part also of Paul's exhortation that we need to die daily? Die daily. Absolutely. And so I think the road to healing actually begins, Craig, you as a white man, me as an African-American, me going, my worldview is limited. I don't have the complete perspective. I carry with me fundamental biases. Therefore, I need to be in relationship with you because you're going to bring a different perspective, some of which is ethnically influenced, and we can push back and forth against one another. See, here's the deal. I think I was just at Cedarville University uh, two days ago in Ohio, and I'm talking about these issues with them. I said, we've got to get, here's where we know real reconciliation is happening. Right now, what I feel is something racially happens, and white Christians go silent. And I think some of that is fear. 
a fear of saying the wrong thing in the age of political correctness. But I think, Craig, if you and I are really brothers and we really love one another, there's a safety and a security for you to come to me courageously in love and say something that could be misinterpreted, but you're not fearful that I'm going to walk away from the table. But doesn't that also require, as you suggested earlier, a capacity to be able to stop in the moment and say, oh, wait a minute. I'm at stage two and you're at stage four. And yes. so let, let's hold on for a minute here and let's let's get in sync yes. here. Can we meet in the middle and meet at stage three? Yes. Or let me move on to stage four and hear you emote. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And 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 share some of the burden and then say, Okay, now come with me back to stage two. Absolutely. So what we're talking about here is not only communication, but the willingness to have healthy conflict even. I mean, th- these are these are indicator lights of healthy relationships. If if every time something sensitive came up, my wife just was silent. That's not a healthy marriage. Mm-hmm. I think her ability to push back says I feel safe enough to express my heart, even if this view here is variant and it offends you. We're going to pause. Come back with one final comment from Pastor Brian Lourdes the new lead pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. Information, by the way, about the ministry online at ALCF. Think Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, ALCF.net. His radio program, Inspired to Live, weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our visit. Again, more information about the ministry of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. You can check them out online by going to alcf.net. That's alcf.net. Brian also has a relatively new radio program here on KFAX called Inspired to Live. The broadcasting can be heard weekday mornings at 5 a.m. Great way to start the day early in God's Word with Pastor Brian Lourdes, Inspired to Live. Weekday mornings at 5 a.m. here on KFAX. Well, now that you're here getting settled, you talked a bit about some of the vision. You talked about the notion, and I think it's a healthy idea for all of us to say, time to get off the cruise ship and get on the battleship. Um, Time's a-wasting, as they say. What's your sense of vision? Where do you want to see your church go? How do you want to see it influence Silicon Valley and the Bay Area? So a couple things. One is I've done mega church and um, thousands of people. I'm not opposed to that. Um, But what really gets my heart going, what really drew me to the Bay is this notion of my understanding is historically there's never been a documented revival here. Just a broad sweep of the Holy Spirit. We, we've seen periods where, uh, particularly back in the late 1990s with uh, um, women of faith and uh, the Billy Graham Crusades, the Lighthouses of Prayer, certainly it increased sensitivity towards things of God. I, I think there was a time when we saw, for a brief period, greater unity. Yeah with the church during that season. But um, there's also a sense of kind of having to fallen away from our first love. Yeah, I want to see, I want to be a part of in my lifetime, just people in mass coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, having said that, you, you give me very much the, the distinction, the impression that uh, the mega church concept is okay if what? Only if there's that 
those smaller components? Because in a megachurch, you can hide very easily. When there's smaller components coming together, there's where a chance for the real work to be done. When that iron sharpening iron, when we get a chance to know each other and walk in relationship. If I just pat you on the back as you sit in the pew in front of me on Sunday mornings for an hour and we shake hands at some point and then head out of the church and comment about pastor's sermon, not much of a relationship. Yeah, let me say it this way, Craig. I'm, I'm more passionate about a multiplication model of ministry than an addition model of ministry. That's true discipleship, isn't it? Absolutely. So um, I I think you can have a large church that is really multiplying. For me, what multiplication looks like, I'm not interested in adding more services for the sake of services. Hey, you know, I was a part of a church that was doing five services, and it was fun for like two weeks. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) You you, you know what I'm saying? So what I want to do is I want to raise up. Tons of leaders from across the country. We're bringing in uh, our first intern this summer um, who are interested in church planting and specifically planting um, uh, gospel-centered, disciple-making, multi-ethnic churches. I want to plant a bunch of these kinds of churches in the Bay. I want to partner with other churches to do this here in the Bay Area. Uh, I want to raise up leaders, invest in them, and then launch them out to plant churches selfishly in the Bay. I think that's going to be the future catalyst for really seeing genuine, true revival happen in the Bay Area. A large-K kingdom perspective as opposed to the small-K, my kingdom, which is kind of the way. And I I think we are inclined, particularly in the Bay Area, because of the spiritual challenges that we face and and, and the the tremendous, um, not only opportunity, but difficulties in working in, in, in such a diverse mission field as this is, that we tend to sometimes get very defensive Right. Uh, we like the four walls around yep. us. Uh, we don't want pastor from Congregation B yep. taking sheep out of my pasture over here yep. in Congregation A. And so we focus a lot on the building of my little kingdom with a small K, and we forget that the real focus is on building God's kingdom. Absolutely. And so that's that's what we're going to be about. Uh, we're doing our what we're calling our first discipleship summit that's coming up the weekend of May 18th. We're bringing in what I believe to be the top discipleship expert in the country, Dr. Kenan Vaughn. Uh, only 1% of all Christians have actually made a disciple, and so he's going to come in and show us how to do that. Fascinating. I, I, when I've had a chance to speak, sometimes I will go to a church and say, just a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever led anybody to Christ and discipled them? Absolutely. And it takes about a minute for the question to even sort of absolutely <laughs> settle in, and everybody looks at everybody, and three or four hands go up, and you think, wait a minute, what's happening here? This should be a part of normative Christianity for every one of us. But I want to be careful. I, I, I don't think, because I have the same experience, I don't think it's because they don't want to. They've never been taught how They've to. They've never been equipped. Yeah. Yeah. So Abundant Life, we are an equipping model of ministry where we're going to equip people to represent Jesus. We end every service at Abundant Life with three words, you are sent. So this isn't come and see the Brian Lourdes show. No, This no. isn't, wow, we got really, we have got the choir, they cook no, on Sunday mornings. No, no. This is not spectator Christianity. It's not. This is fully participatory, all in. It's get what you need to represent Jesus Christ at Apple, mm. at Yahoo, at Facebook, uh, as a teacher in a classroom, as a student on Stanford University's campus. Get what you need to represent him well and the various influences of your life. Don't put on my Christian when I walk through the door of the church Sunday morning and take it right back off the minute I get in out of the parking lot. Absolutely. Everything is transferable principles. So we want people to get a sense of, I'm getting this, 
so that I can give it to someone else. Pay it forward. Yes. In a spiritual sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been a delight to spend some time visiting with you today. I hope this is the first of many times, Craig. I'd love to have you back again. And, and meanwhile, for listeners that are saying, I want more, I want more, well, the podcast of today's conversation, of course, will be available at the KFAX website. We'll have a reprise of this conversation Saturday at 5 p.m. right here on KFAX, and then a full hour-long sermon Sunday morning at 12 noon here on KFAX. And if you'd like to get your daily dose, that's easy, too. The program, Inspired to Live weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. If you're an early morning riser, it's right for you. If you're not, set the alarm clock back a few hours and just get up a little bit earlier. Do you know people your age die in bed? So get up and, and get inspired to live. Information again about the ministry of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. Quick, ministry times, what time, service times on Sunday? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Sunday Sunday mornings and complete details about the church on the web at alcf.net. That's Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, alcf.net. Pastor Brian Lourdes, thanks so much for dropping by. Thanks, Craig. Loved it. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.